we've been graciously reminded just now that we ain't got time to die. So help us to take the lives that you have given to us and in service to you, leave a legacy that will last for generations. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. The new college of Oxford in a part of the university system of England was founded in 1379 as a part of that college, as is a part of pretty much any college, probably the most important part of the facilities, at least to the students, is the dining hall. This is a picture of the dining hall at New College of Oxford. It looks like something right out of a Harry Potter movie, doesn't it? Well, take a, take a look at that picture and notice the beams in the top of the dining hall. Some of those oak beams are two by two things. That's two feet by two feet, not two inch by two inch. And they're about 45 feet long. It takes something that big, that substantial, to be able to hold up a ceiling, a roof like that. Well, if you think about something that was built in 1379, you realize sooner or later that at some point in time, someone needs to climb up and take a look at those beams and make sure everything is hunky-dory. Well, about 100 years or so ago, someone, I guess somebody in the facilities management part of the university system, crawled up in there and started inspecting those beams and discovered that those oak beams had been infested by beetles. It's no real surprise, it happens. That's why you have someone come out to your house on a regular basis and look around and check those termite traps to make sure there's not something getting into your house. Well, beetles get into oak beams and the security and the safety of those beams was now compromised, which meant that the security and the safety of the dining hall was compromised. You don't want to be eating whatever they're eating for lunch in England and have the ceiling fall in on you. So the facilities folks started scratching their heads and thinking, where in the world are we going to be able to find 45 foot long, two foot by two foot beams. Someone pointed out to them that the school owned an awful lot of property and maybe somewhere on the property in some of the wooded property might be a tree big enough. So they went to, they actually have the college forester. They went to the person who is the college forester who oversees the, the woods of the properties and he said, we were wondering when you'd be asking about that. It turns out that hundreds of years ago, in anticipation of this very problem, someone with a lot of insight decided to take an acorn and plant oak trees around the property so there would be trees big enough that looked like this from which you could harvest a two foot by two foot, 45 foot long beam. These trees had been planted specifically and solely for the purpose of being able to harvest to replace the beams in the ceiling of the dining hall. The people who built that initially probably didn't think about that, but someone else further down the pike had the foresight to think, 
We need to provide something for the future. We need not to worry about just ourselves, but be ready when something unexpected happens. When life throws you a curveball, when things don't go as you thought they would, when, when things don't go according to the plan that you figure it out in your mind, let's face it, all of us think that the world would operate a whole lot better if God would just do things the way we think God ought to do things. When life gives you lemons, what do you do? Yep, that's what we've been taught all our lives. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But I want to suggest to you today that that's probably not the best way of thinking about it. I think when life gives you lemons, plant a grove. This past Thursday when our family was, was gathered for Thanksgiving, we were in uh, Montgomery, which is uh, Thanksgiving is the magnet that draws Lib's family together from all over the place. And we were all together. Someone was slicing an, uh, a lemon open and I said, hey, when you do that, dig the seeds out. I'd like to know how many seeds there are in a lemon. Twenty. Now I'm sure that in some lemons there are 12 and some lemons there are 24 but in this particular lemon there were 20 seeds now think about that if you planted 20 seeds and if each one of them sprouted and turned into a lemon tree in one year only you got let's say 15 lemons off of that tree suddenly you've got 300 seeds that you could use to plant to make more lemons. When life gives you lemons, plant a grove. Folks, things happen in all of our lives that we didn't expect. You apply for a job and, and you don't get that job. You're minding your own business on a foggy Sunday morning trying to make your way to church and someone pulls out in front of you and, and you run into them. You have been told that there is one thing and one thing only that person wants for Christmas and you find that that one thing has been sold out for months. Or you go to see the doctor and the doctor, after looking at your test results, clears her throat and says, we need to talk. When life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade because that's all about you. You take a lemon, you make lemonade, you have satisfied yourself. But when life gives you lemons, plant a grove because that invests in others and makes a difference that's going to last a long, long time. The followers of Jesus do not focus on the negative. They do not pay attention to the narcissistic tendencies that the world around us pays attention to. The followers of Jesus focus on others and plan to leave a legacy so that others can benefit from it. Today is the, the last Sunday in this series of messages that we're calling Jailbreak, looking through the book of Acts at those passages where some of the apostles have been put in jail. Sometimes they broke out of jail. Sometimes they did not. We've seen Peter and John in jail in Jerusalem. We've seen Paul in jail. We've seen uh, in, in Philippi, and, and in both cases, they were miraculously released. We saw Paul arrested in Jerusalem last week, transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast, and he languished in jail for over 
two years. When life gives you lemons, what are you going to do? Make lemonade or plant a grove? Over two years, he languished in jail and finally decided enough was enough. And he exercised the right that every Roman citizen has. He made an appeal to the Supreme Court of his day. He said, I appeal to Caesar, which meant he automatically got a ticket on a boat to Rome. If you remember the story, uh, they set out from Caesarea. They made their way through the Mediterranean. As they went around Crete, they decided to sail during a time of year that it wasn't the smartest thing in the world to sail through. They got caught in functionally a Mediterranean hurricane in the Bible. In the book of Acts, it's called a nor'easter. They were shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Finally, sometime later, they were able to make their way to the Italian mainland and from there make their way up to Rome. That's where we pick up the story in Acts 28, uh, beginning to read at verse 17. You may have your own Bible. You can follow along on the screens or just sit back and listen to the Word of God. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but because I wasn't guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly didn't intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you. Now, he's, he's called together the leaders of the Jewish people in Rome. I've asked to see you and talk to you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we've, received, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to our forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. 
May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. Now think about the context of this story. I, I, I think that too often we hear these stories from the Bible and they just kind of come in one ear and go right out the other. Think about what Paul has endured to get to this place. He has tried to be faithful to his Savior who has called him to preach the good news to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. Because of that, he has been arrested. He has languished in jail-like situations for well over two years. He has made his way through the Mediterranean, been caught in a shipwreck. The, the storm drove the ship along until it crashed, literally, on the shores of the island of Malta. They survived that experience, finally makes his way to Rome, and now he doesn't know when his case is going to be heard. Functionally, he's under house arrest. He's in his own rented facilities, which means the government isn't paying for his capture, his, his uh, confinement. He's paying for himself, and he is bound by a chain to a soldier. The emperor at this time is Nero, not a friend of the followers of Jesus. So here is Paul, stuck in his own house, not able to get out, hearing, no doubt, the stories of the followers of Jesus who are being slaughtered one after the other in the games in horrific ways to entertain Nero. Life has given Paul a lemon. What's Paul going to do? Make a class of lemonade? or plant a grove. Paul obviously plants a grove. I think the key word at the end of this story is that simple little word, boldness. He proclaimed the good news about Jesus with all boldness. The etymology of, of the Greek word that is behind that literally talks about public speaking. Uh, some of you have traveled to other parts of the world. You've visited uh, in Greece, maybe in Italy. You've been around in Turkey, and you've seen those Roman forums where anyone could claim the right to step forward and speak. The word boldness would be used in contexts like that. It's about public speaking. It's about telling the truth, telling the story, and doing so without being hampered or hindered in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It's functionally one of the rights that we enjoy as Americans today. It's the right to free speech. And Paul was freely telling the story of Jesus to anyone and everyone within, with whom he came in contact, and he did it without being hindered in any way. Are you doing that today? Are you living your life as though you ain't got time to die? That you've got to tell the story of Jesus with all boldness, without hindrance? I think the Christian church today is, is living out what I refer to as chipmunk Christianity. We have these furry little creatures that live in our yard. Anybody else? Y'all have chip? You know, when we moved 13 years ago from the Mississippi Gulf Coast and we bought this house and I looked in the yard and I thought, those chipmunks are so cute. 
We have this brick wall that runs along the right side of our driveway that depending on where you are, it's either about two feet high uh, up to what, about three and a half feet high at the farthest end. Liv and I are convinced that the chipmunks have created a condominium complex right up next to that, that brick wall. Because they'll run along the brick wall and just drop down. And all of a sudden, boop, pop up somewhere else. And then there's another one popping up over here and running around. If Scout, our black lab, is out in the yard and sees one, takes off, I'm telling you, those chipmunks have holes everywhere that they can just, boop, pop into. And then, boop, pop up somewhere else. I think that's what you're doing today, friends. No offense meant. I think you're modeling out what Christians for too long have been doing, that, that we're in our little holy uh, condominium complex. We're safe and secure where we feel comfortable, and we kind of pop up and run over here, boop, bop, drop back down into church. And we're safe and we're secure here at church until we pop up, boop, and run over here and go to our Bible study, boop drop back down, and we just kind of pop up, run over, and drop back down. We are not living our lives with the boldness of Christ. You know what the problem with the Presbyterian church, well, one of the problems with the Presbyterian church, we're like the Arctic River. We're frozen at the mouth. We don't know what to say or what to do. Do you know, Sally, what you get when you cross a Presbyterian with a Jehovah's Witness? Someone who knocks on doors but doesn't know what to say. You know, we have bought into the belief that you cannot say Merry Christmas because that is oppressive. Horse feathers! That's not oppressive. Am I oppressed when my neighbor says Happy Hanukkah to me next week? Not at all. I'm going to respond to him. Happy Hanukkah to you. In fact, I might jump the, the gun and beat him to the punch and wish him a Happy Hanukkah. How's he going to feel about that? Probably blessed. You don't have to hide your faith. You have been created by a loving God. And that loving God has shared with you the good news of his son and our Savior. And he wants you to tell that story with all boldness. Don't make yourself a glass of lemonade, friends. Plant a grove plant a grove. Now, you're not going to argue anyone into the faith. It's, it's not about trying to reason someone into the faith and, and beat their arguments down. It's simply about telling your story, being faithful to the Lord who is faithful to you. No one can argue with your experience. You're simply called to be a witness if you've ever been in a courtroom or watched Law and Order, what does a witness do? They tell what they know, what they saw, what they heard. Your job is to lead a legacy, to plant a grove with your words. Second Timothy 1, 7 says, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. That's the spirit of boldness that Paul had that enabled and allowed him to preach the word of God with boldness and without hindrance. 
And that's the spirit that God has given you, that he has equipped you to go out into this world and tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, when, when life throws us a curveball, when things don't go the way we want them to, the way we think they ought to go, when, when life gives us a lemon, typically there are three things you can do in response. One, you can strike back. Somebody pulls out in front of you and, and you hit their car or you pull out in front of them and they hit your car, you can jump out and start yelling and screaming at them. Call them every name that's never been published in a Bible. You can, you can just shut down. You can just give up and just uh, close up shop. Or you can get creative and believe that the God who has created you has given you that spirit so that you can plant a grove. My friend Gary Anglin was the minister of music at First Baptist Church in Pascagoula, Mississippi the last several years that we lived there. And uh, after we uh, had moved back to Atlanta, about 10 weeks after we moved into our house here uh, in 2005, this little storm called Katrina came along and put about three and a half feet of water in the house that fortunately for us we had sold. Gary uh, decided as Katrina was making its way to the Gulf Coast that he was going to stay at his house. His his mother lived with he and his wife, and his mother had Alzheimer's, and, and he just felt that they lived a mile off the water, they were going to be okay. He was wrong. That storm pushed in and, and pushed that storm surge forward. Gary's home, a mile off the water, started filling with water. It got so bad that he decided they needed to to leave the house. He had a, a boat, a good-sized boat, fishing boat, had a little bit of a cabin on it, uh, on a trailer in his yard chained to a tree. So he told his wife he felt that they better go get in the boat. So Gary's on one side of his mother and his wife is on the other side of his mother and they're walking out through knee-deep water, the rain coming in sideways, trying to get out to the boat. His mother who has Alzheimer's, says, I'm getting wet. <laughs> Is anyone else getting wet? And they just made their way on out to the boat. Got mama in the boat. His wife gets in the boat. Gary gets in the boat. They get in the cabin. They hunker down. Storm's still raging outside. And the water's still rising to the po point that the boat, which is chained to a tree, is now starting to do this. And Gary's starting to think, we've made a big mistake. When his mother says, I don't think we picked the best day to go to town. <laughs> well, about that time, the water started to recede, and, and obviously everything turned out relatively well. And, and about a month after the storm, I was down in Pascagoula, and Gary was telling me the story. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, Chuck, there are times in life when Alzheimer can be your friend. Mama wasn't scared. That's the spirit of someone who knows how to plant a grove when life gives them a lemon. Not worry about themselves and make lemonade, but really share the good news of Jesus with boldness 
without hindrance. And when he said that to me that day, sometimes Alzheimer is your friend, I just looked at him and thought about the depth of his spirit and how he was taking that gosh-awful experience and using it to say something good about his Savior. That's planting a grove when life gives you a lemon. And you know how you get there? You know how you learn to see life through the lens of grace? You spend time on a daily basis with the one who created the first lemon, put the first man and woman in the garden and said, tend the grove. He didn't say, make lemonade. He said, tend the garden. That's what we're called to do as well. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you that you created lemons and limes and every fruit of the tree. We thank you that you put seeds in that fruit and enabled us to plant them in the ground and, and create more fruit. And Father, today I thank you for the seed of faith that you have placed in the lives of each one of us. And I pray that you would help us to take that seed and harvest it, plant a grove, and let others see the goodness of your garden for your glory today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.